When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply kids are falling behind in their education and that has lifetime effects lifetime effects both on their their educational and psychological development and it also have lifetime effects on their earning they will earn less per year for every year of school that they miss hey thanks for listening to we're momming today if you're listening on a smart speaker or website make sure to find me lauren simonetti on your favorite podcast platform like apple Podcasts, google TuneIn, and stitcher and don't forget to leave me a review We're momming today with Joel Zinberg, a senior fellow at CEI, the Competitive Enterprise Institute, who is clearly not a mom, but he's a dad, and also a doctor and a lawyer and an expert in what parents need to know about vaccinations for the flu, but also more importantly for COVID-19. Joel, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. You know, I know so many parents, my husband included, I'll put him in there. I don't get the flu vaccine, the regular old influenza vaccine, because it never works. And last winter, it didn't really work so well. Well, an awful lot of people say exactly that thing. And if you if you look back historically over about the last 10 flu seasons, only about 45% of people get vaccinated. And they voice the same concerns that your husband voiced, that either they are don't think it works, uh, they don't think it's necessary, the flu isn't that bad. And then the second type of concern they have is on the safety of the vaccine. They worry that, gee, maybe I could get the flu from the vaccine, or maybe I would have some sort of side effect. So for those two reasons, we, we know a lot from our, our history that people don't want to take a flu vaccine. Yet many of them, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I already got my flu shot for this year, and, and so did my kids, because we just don't want to be mixed up with the whole, are you sick, regular sick, or is this COVID-19? Do you think that more people will get the regular flu shot this year because of the COVID concerns? Well, I sure hope so. You know, there, there's a... Um, a, a, a notion or a theory in economics talking about prevalence elasticity, which is just a fancy way of saying if something is very common and it's in your mind, uh, then you're more likely to go ahead and get the vaccine. So in situations where the disease is very common or there's a reason that it's in, in the news, people are more common, uh, more likely to get it. So I hope all this information about COVID is going to lead people to also be worried about the flu when they get get their flu shots. 
Which brings us to COVID. I mean, you know, you have four, I think it's four promising front runners here in the U.S. for a vaccine, Moderna and, and Pfizer. They say they should have their phase three results next month, believe it or not. Um, and, and let's just say that that's green-lighted. They get the FDA emergency use authorization. So, okay, we, we have a, a vaccine and we have the ability to distribute it here in the U.S., how does that work? And, and can that start to happen before 2021? It really depends on, on when the vaccine is approved. It also depends on how ramped up they are to manufacture the vaccine. And the, the good thing, the thing that's really unique about what's happened this time around is that there's been through Operation Warp Speed, the, the administration's effort to move things along and get a vaccine developed and proved safe and effective, you've had these public-private partnerships where the government has actually given money to the vaccine producers so that they can ramp up production in advance of getting approval. So it's hoped that there'll be a lot more doses available when vaccines are approved. So if that's the case, then it will they'll be able to distribute them around the country and distribute them to physicians to administer them. But it really remains to be seen. I mean, the typical pattern is when a vaccine is approved, it's in limited supply. So you have to then target who you should give the vaccine to. And who, who is that? Is that our medical workers and our, our seniors? Who, who should get the COVID vaccine first? It should be medical workers because they're exposed all the time and because they, are, they would potentially be exposing other people to the disease, and it should be the populations who are vulnerable. And we now know a lot about COVID, and we know the people who are most vulnerable to the disease are the elderly, and they're people with underlying medical problems, what are, what are termed comorbidity. So people who have uh, diabetes, who have hypertension, who are obese, these are all folks who seem to get more severe disease, and they're also more likely to die from the disease than your average person. Okay, so let's move this to, to school children, right? Uh, now, they probably, I'm assuming they would be the last in line because they're young and their immune systems are healthy for the most part. They would be the last in line where uh, a vaccination would be available to them. But, but let's just say it is, if that's correct, and it, it does become available to them. I, I mean, do you see parents saying, yeah, sure, no, no problem, give this relatively new uh, COVID shot to my to my child? Uh, well, I think they should consider it. But I mean, I want to go back to your earlier question. You know, you, an interesting thing about COVID is that the vulnerable population are the elderly. If you look at the flu, it's young children and the elderly who are most at risk. So you know, this would be another reason that your audience should be carefully considering getting the flu vaccine for their kids this year. But going back to COVID, with COVID, they ought to be considering the vaccine if it's available in adequate supply. And they ought to be thinking about it if someone at home falls into one of those vulnerable populations. So you don't want your uh, school-age child potentially getting the disease, which may be very mild for them, but when they come home, they may infect grandma or grandpa. Right. No, of course. Of course. Well, this is what's, uh, it's an individual story and, and um, most 
I think most experts agree for this widespread availability, it's not until the middle to the end of next year before we can actually consider it um, in terms of manufacturing and distribution. But the Wall Street Journal and NBC, they did a poll, it's of registered voters. Uh, I I don't think that really matters here, but 50% said they're going to wait the vaccine out. They want to wait and see, you know, what, what is the first run really like? 20% said, yeah, no, we want it. We want it now. So 20% raising their hand, 17%, no way, never 10% only if my company or if someone, the government mandates me to get it and 3% are unsure. So if I bottom line this 77%, have said, we really don't want to get the vaccine. How do you, you know, so it's great that we have the the vaccine when we do, but if people aren't going to take it, what's the point? Well, you know, it, it, you hit the nail on the head. The, the uh, surveys that have been conducted about a COVID vaccine echo what we know from the influenza vaccine, that they have those same two concerns. They're concerned about safety and they're concerned about the effectiveness and need for a vaccine. It's just like there. And the ways you can potentially move more people into the positive or definite uh, category would be to, one, make it easy for them to get it. So you provide it for them for, at no cost. You make it uh, available uh, in their places of work or in other settings where they don't have to inconvenience themselves to get it. So those are techniques that have worked to some extent uh, with other vaccines. But at the end of the day, that really may not be enough. And you may have to consider mandating vaccines. And, and this is not something that's crazy or out of the ordinary. We, we have all kinds of vaccine mandates in this country, including for school-age kids to attend school. And in some healthcare settings, there are mandatory vaccines for healthcare workers so that they don't get sick and then infect all the patients that they encounter. So this is something that's going to have to be considered. That, that that's not a federal mandate, though, right? When when the school requires you to have certain inoculations and all that, that that's uh, is it statewide or specific to that locality? It's not federal, is it? It's not federal. These are typically what are called under falling under what are called the state's police power, their power to take actions to protect the population. Uh, and, and there's a long history of this. I mean, it dates back to a Supreme Court case from 115 years ago called Jacobson versus Massachusetts, where the state of Massachusetts in the middle of a smallpox epidemic mandated that people had to be vaccinated against smallpox or pay a fine. And, and Mr. Jacobson refused to either be vaccinated or pay the fine. And when it made its way up to the Supreme Court, they said that, that protecting the public health was consistent with the Constitution, that it wasn't a, a, an undue infringement on his liberty interests. So we have that precedent. It's been cited multiple times. It's used uh, in multiple settings, including, by the way, in many cases now for some of the public health measures that are being taken uh, to try to mitigate COVID. So yeah. that would be something that would be under consideration if we had to mandate a COVID vaccine. I know. The, the legality and the politics of all of this is in high gear right now. But but uh, we're going to have more modern today with Joel Zinberg talking about the potential COVID vaccine uh, right after this. Mm-hmm. 
Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. We're back on We're Mom Today with the Senior Fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute, Joel Zinberg. Joel, thanks for joining us. And we were just discussing how the science is the easy part about all this, which is fascinating because, you know, Vaccines take decades, and now we're doing it so fast. And the science is almost there, but the will of the people is not. Um, so when do you foresee, and I, I don't think we'll ever return to normal, but maybe um, the return to normal as, as best we can. When do you think enough people will have been vaccinated that I guess we can say there's herd immunity out there or it, it's safe to return to our old lives? It's obviously no, no one has a crystal ball here, but my best guesstimate would be you're looking sometime in 2021, probably from the middle to the latter half of the year. Uh, but I do think, you know, all things considered, we now know enough about the virus and the disease that it causes that we can be a lot more targeted in the measures we're taking to mitigate the disease. So, in other words, I, Many of your viewers may or may not have heard of this, uh, what's called the Great Barrington uh, Declaration, where a a number of uh, scientists and and medical personnel have advocated that we do what are called focused uh, mitigation attempts, that we, instead of locking down the entire society, we try to focus on looking at who are the most vulnerable and what measures we can take to protect them and try to let everyone else go as much as possible around about their normal lives. They may have to wear masks. They may have to be aware of the social distancing. But, you know, you may be able to return to work and return to going to restaurants and things like that as long as you wear masks and avoid large social gatherings, as long as we really try to target the people who are most vulnerable. But to take this back to school, whether it's college or, or, you know, elementary school, I mean, so many parents are struggling right now, getting their kids to concentrate, doing the remote learning. The kids who do go to school go in for a hybrid schedule, half the day, wearing masks the whole time. It's, it's a different environment. And I just, you just said, and you're not the only one, that this is going to be the environment for another year. I mean, can we survive this for another year? Uh, no, we can't survive with the sort of general lockdown uh, that's been imposed in some areas and that people are now talking about reimposing, because the evidence is very clear that kids' learning is being impacted, kids are falling behind in their education, and that has lifetime effects, lifetime effects both on their their educational and psychological development, and it also have lifetime effects on their earning. They will earn less per year for every year of school that they miss. So that's number one. Number two, we know it's having effects uh, on the economy. We, we've entered it. We were in a, the best economy we've had in, in decades, and then we almost overnight entered a recession. Number three, we know it has bad health effects on people in general. People couldn't get a lot of routine medical care. 
They couldn't go for cancer screenings. We know there are excess deaths that are only indirectly related to COVID. And what I mean by that is people aren't going to get treated for their heart attacks. They're not going to their doctors to get treated for their hypertension. You know, all sorts of things. They're not getting their cancer screening, so they present with more advanced disease. And that's leading to excess deaths from those diseases, not from COVID. So we, have to, we cannot continue with this sort of general lockdown mentality. We have to learn to adjust. So is the message then to most Americans, in fact, people around the world, that they should get this vaccine and not be hesitant? Are you confident saying that in the science? I, I am very confident. And you know what? The, the, I think it's, it's been a bit counterproductive, some of the speculation that vaccines are being rushed and, and it's made, in some of the polling, made people even less receptive to a vaccine. But I can tell you, on the other hand, I think it has really focused the attention of the FDA and the attention of the drug companies. I mean, they, these are two organizations that in general are very risk averse. They don't want to put out a, a product that's going to harm people and then create a lot of bad press for them. But they are really sensitive about it now. No, none, Not one of these companies is interested in rushing something to market only to have it boomerang on them. No, and they're actually halting and pausing trials and studies just to make sure they get it you know, right the, the first time. Uh, I had an experience this past weekend, and um, it was – I have a two-and-a-half-year-old and a five-year-old, and I had just put the two-and-a-half-year-old in school. He did a total of seven hours that week, three mornings a week. And he comes down with a terrible cold, which is what happens when a kid goes to school for the first yeah. time. And then my daughter got it. So I made you know, an emergency appointment at our, our, their doctor, the pediatrician. And um, just to do the, you know, it was a little cold, but to be responsible, I'm not going to send sick children to school. And, uh, you know, they test negative for strep. And the doctor's like, would you like a COVID test? And I was like, oh, boy. Um, does it go all the way up to their eyeball? She said, no. I said, go ahead. I just didn't want to like, you know, torment them. And they were both fine and the tests were negative and I got my form saying they were negative. And, um, you know, a few days later they go to school, everything's fine. But I, I thought to myself, I was like, wow, it's only October. And I just made an emergency appointment for both of my children to go to the doctor, get tested, get COVID tested for like a sniffle. Right. And I thought of this long winter ahead and I said, oh, no, schools are going to close. And I, I think I'm right. I hate to say it. I, I just, you know, the weather's nice now. Kids get sick and, and people are going to freak out. Right, right. Well, look, uh, I, in, that, in this regard, I think you're talking to the wrong guy because <laughs> my, my wife and I are both physicians and I think in – my daughter is now 19, and I think during her school years, we maybe took her to the doctor once for an illness, <laughs> other than outside, because we, I think we're a little less, cons uh, or a little less impressed with the sniffles than probably many parents are. But the sniffles now is what I'm saying. Like, you know, I feel like you send your kid with a cold anywhere, and every parent is going to like, you know, hate you forever. You're going to be, right, right. get the scarlet letter. 
I think I think people just have to use good judgment. In other words, the sniffles are very different than a high fever, uh, than a kid who's having difficulty, really real difficulty breathing, than a uh, than a kid who's lethargic. Look, I, you know, the reality is every year we have a flu season. And kids can get the flu. So, you know, the same concerns that you're expressing now about COVID are, are sh- something that parents should actually be having every year. And in fact, the flu is a more dangerous disease for kids than, than COVID is. Yeah, but do we know that? Do we know the long-term repercussions of this disease yet? We, we don't know. I mean, and there's no question there are, there are some syndromes that, uh, which are thankfully, thank God, very rare. Uh, there's this a multi-system inflammatory syndrome, uh, but you know you were talking about maybe a thousand kids in the entire country have gotten that. You know, you don't want any of them to get it. But the fact is, you've probably had millions of kids who've been infected with the disease, uh, and for most of those kids, the vast majority, it's a very mild uh, disease. They don't even many kids are, and many adults too, frankly, are are asymptomatic. So you don't want any kid to get it. But thank God it's it's a, a pretty mild disease. Yeah. Joel, thank you for momming with us today. Um, I appreciate your optimism. <laughs> and and I, I hope we all have a safe winter as best we can. I hope everyone stays safe. And please, I can't emphasize enough, when the vaccine comes out and it, and it becomes recommended for kids, because I think your audience has to realize that what happens often with vaccines is it will be recommended for particular populations. So, and and they're just undertaking the testing now in children. Most of the testing up to date has been in adults and now moving to testing younger kids. So when it is ready and when it is approved by the CDC and the FDA, please, please take it. Everyone will do better and you will sleep better if your kids are immunized. And with that, have a beautiful weekend. Thank you. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.